Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week, part two of our special The Ignoble Prizes. While we dive into the messy world of navigating crowded spaces and finding the smoothest pass through and avoiding collisions. And just what can happen if you throw phones into the mix. This week we continue our two-part special into the 2021 Ig Nobel Prizes. Now, we talked in last week's episode about the fantastic work done to study discarded pieces of chewing gum. And we also gave an overview of many of the other awards in the history of the Ig Nobel Prizes, as well as the fellow recipients in 2021, including studying how to eliminate cockroaches from submarines and how to airlift rhinoceroses upside down. Now, these are all well and good, but what we're going to dive in today is actually a pretty messy topic, but one you'll probably have encountered at least some point in your life. We're going to look at the awardees of the Physics Prize and the Kinetics Prize in this year's Ig Nobel Prizes. Now, the Physics Prize was awarded to Alessandro Cobetta, Jasper Misum, Chingmun Lee, Roberto Benzi, and Federico Toshi. Now, these were awarded the physics prizes for conducting experiments to learn why pedestrians don't constantly collide with other pedestrians. Now, this paper was published in 2018 in the journal Physical Review, and it outlines a physics-based modelling and representation of interactions amongst pedestrians. This is a pretty interesting topic because I can guarantee you at some point in your life, you've probably navigated a somewhat crowded street. Whether it be a busy train station, an airport, a school corridor, or even just a busy path on a nice summer's day. Now, when you're trying to navigate these spaces, it can be quite difficult to make sure that you're not walking too fast or too slow. And how you find the safest path for yourself to navigate through involves a little bit of coordination. But these researchers were trying to dive into how exactly you model and understand the behaviours of all of these pedestrians in this space, whether or not you can come up with some method for understanding their movements. And that's what we're going to dive into here in this first section. Starting point for this research is really what we do anytime we navigate either a familiar space or maybe an unfamiliar space. We'll either map it out in our mind or figure out what we know about the space and form a plan of how we're going to get to our destination. This is more or less our intended path. Now, if there's some obstruction or pedestrian in our way, or as maybe we learn the features of the environment, particularly a new one, better, we'll make some adjustments. Which means that normally we're basically continually adjusting our path from our intended path to whatever it has to be to get us from A to B. Now, this might be impulsively or it might be some kind of timing-based or or more interruption-based adjustment. But basically, we weave our way through the crowd or around the obstacles to get to our intended destination. Now, if you wanted to categorize that or classify that with some kind of model... Well, you need to sort of break this down a step further. What's the simplest case that you could consider? And this is the pairwise avoidance strategy. 
Imagine that you have two people walking towards each other. Both of them have their intended path, which is straight ahead, but now there's someone else in the way. Well, they will deviate their path to avoid that collision. That's naturally what you would expect to happen. Sometimes you might get it wrong. You weave left and the other person also weaves to their right, meaning you're in the same spot. Uh, and so someone has to move again. But nevertheless, you're still undertaking this weaving action. Now, to try and model how and why you make those decisions almost instinctively and how then you scale that up to a larger crowd is really difficult. And researchers often jump to trying to compare human motion here to well, the way particles or fluid flow behaves. The problem is you can apply these kind of abstractions and you need something else to represent the comfort level of an individual person. Normally, when we try and weave past someone, we don't just try and squeeze past. We have some kind of natural social distance where you don't want actually someone to be inside your space, your comfort zone. Now, this theory can be further established by modeling this distance, this bubble of comfort zone space around you that you want to keep maintained as some kind of social force. And this is an abstraction that researchers often use to try and then treat the behavior and interaction of people moving through a space in a way that behaves almost Newtonian-like. And if you do this, modeling with social force and taking into effect people's comfort distance you can understand how people make deviations to their expected path. They can see that someone is going to walk into something that would be inside their comfort distance and make a change to avoid it. Or another way of thinking about it is this has a social force around somebody and these fears interact and repel each other. That makes it possible to model and understand this behavior in a computational setting. Now, to better categorize and understand the way in which these people interact with each other and test if you can actually build a pretty good model for actually modeling and analyzing people's behavior as they move through a space, the researchers had to get a lot of data. And to do this, they set up a six-month-long pedestrian tracking experiment in a train station in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. Now, what they did is they took a small corridor in the Netherlands, which was connected to a bus terminal. It's around a seven litre long tunnel, which leads to the south side of the city. And on top of this region, they mounted an array of overhead kinetic sensors. Now these kinetic sensors had an overlapping field of view and that enabled them to track either side the exact movements of people through this little choke neck point of a tunnel. Now overall, its width was around nine meters and the array has a sensing range of around three meters. They also had a sensor further up to sort of capture another snapshot of the crowd through that area. And using this large amount of data they were able to gather, they could start to model and test their hypothesis, refine their model, see if they could optimize it further in order to train it and get it something that approached actual real world simulation. Problem is though, in this one little crowded corridor, you'll see all kinds of different pedestrian dynamics. In a real life setting, it's not as simple as just people walking in a straight line. Because after all, a train station can have all kinds of people. People walking on their own, undisturbed from A to B. Other ones could have people walking in crowds with crowds alongside them, large or small crowds walking together. Sometimes you might have two dense crowds interacting with each other passing through each other somehow. You might have contraflow and, and 
going against a larger crowd in the other direction. All these things make it really difficult to analyze. So what the researchers had to do was group and classify these. If you take a given scenario, like a person walking uninterrupted, then you could find other examples of a person walking uninterrupted in your large six month long data stare, and then model those against each other. Also, you could take the same thing if you had a large crowd or a small crowd and look for other examples of that and build a data set for these given types of scenarios. That was a big part of this research automating and analyzing all of this data, categorizing the trajectories as well as the groups and scenarios in that trajectory was really important because without this automatic classification, such a large scale data study would be meaningless or really, really difficult to do. So that's what they first had to solve. So once they got their sensors deployed and collected their data set, they, which was actually over a six month period from 2014 to 2015, that gave them enough data to be able to build and figure out what strategy works best for automatically categorizing and figuring out the trajectories of whatever was involved in that given scenario. So that was a first pretty groundbreaking piece of research they did, and it did take a long time to get to that level. But once they have that, they looked at probably two subsets of trajectories and considered those to start to build their model around. In this case, they really only considered the scenarios that were the simplest to model undisturbed flow, people walking without any interruption, which is a really good control. And then they started to throw in pairwise avoidance, you know, two people walking towards each other and how do they change their paths to avoid. Now, if they could just pick out those individual scenarios, it made it much easier to find it in the data. So naturally, it's also the simplest to model, and thus, that's what they went for first. Now, one of the complexities about training a model with this much data is even with around 47,000 trajectories to analyze and the average length of time of analysis around two seconds, 31 frames, they could start to build a model of this pure, just uninterrupted path, the simplest of simple cases, someone moving without disruption. And there still was a lot of variation in that because, you know, the average walking speed is around 1.3 meters per second. But around 4% of pedestrians would run through that corridor, maybe to make their missing connection. And this would, of course, skew the models a little bit. Now, of course, there's some pretty rare events which also mess up any automatic data modeling, such as people turning around or suddenly stopping and pausing in the middle. Now, by having some distribution based on the data they collected of people who are walking, people who are running, or people who are just going to stop, they could actually build a pretty good model that matched the theoretical and the real world data together. And that was just for the simple case. So with that simple case now done, they turned their attention to modeling this pairwise avoidance. And one of the things they considered with this pairwise avoidance was of course this field around you, this social distance force, which basically is some distance from your body, which you don't really want, if you can avoid it, anyone being inside. And they also assumed that people would be looking forward ahead some distance in some field of view in a cone shape. Now, using this field of view test in distant objects, so by using this distance in this cone shape and field of view, the person is able to see, ah, is something going to be into my radius of discomfort later on? If so, maybe I'll make a change to my path to avoid that future obstacle. 
For this particular scenario, they did have a reasonable number of samples. They had around 9,000 avoidance events, pairs of pedestrians. So not a bad set of data to start to investigate. And in this, you would see all kinds of different maneuvers. Now, of course, there was a large number of them where they, the pairs were significantly far enough apart, more than 0.75 metres, that they didn't deviate their paths. It was outside their sphere of discomfort. Now, sometimes if you're less than that distance, then you'll see some interesting behaviours occur. If the distance is really short, then sometimes pedestrians will pass by each other and then keep increasing their distance even after the collision through to some inertia or change of behaviour. They've already started moving, so they're going to keep moving out of the way even though the collision has passed. Other times, of course, they will slow down around the time of passing and then speed up afterwards. Of course, even in the data they saw, Sometimes this pairwise collision avoidance isn't always successful. Now, they looked at this case and they found around 40 cases where the collision distance or the space distance was less than half a metre, which means it probably was some form of discomfort at least involved there. So the collision avoidance hasn't been particularly successful. But they were able to generate a model which had these factors into play, modelling like forces repelling each other and particles moving away from each other and continuing on to a pretty good level. They used a lot of different methods and trained and tested this data and actually came up with a model for understanding the flow and interactions of pedestrians, at least in collision pairs, and how that manages to work and avoid collisions. Now, this model could be applied to larger groups and forms the basis of approaching this problem from a mathematical perspective, which would otherwise be treated as more of a behavioural one. So it's a pretty interesting paper. But the rules they ended up with are more or less like this. Should pedestrians be in the path of a possible collision, which means without any deviation, they'll have less than uh, 1.4 metres apart, their paths will be deflected. They'll move, separate their paths so that they don't collide. And they'll do so to make sure normally that their path is no less than 0.75 metres away from each other. And then after they pass, normally they'll see that they don't modify their path any further. They just keep going straight. So by modelling these path dynamics and then treating it with this social force construct, i.e. coming up with some method of quantifying this social force, not wanting someone inside close to you, they can actually train a model that replicates these phenomena really well. Now, that's the simplest case. Two people walking towards each other, not a crowd. And it's a good starting point because it outlines mathematically how you can approach something as complicated as people walking towards each other and dodging and start to build that up to a more complex scenario. And that is multiple groups of people walking at each other at different times and how and why sometimes that breaks down. But for this work in understanding the flow of people through a crowd, they were awarded the Ig Nobel Prize in Physics. Now the flip side to what we talked about here, a pair of people avoiding each other is of course a pair of people running into each other. And that's what was awarded the Kinetics Prize, Ig Nobel Prize in 2021. And it went to Hisashi Murakami, Claudio Feliciani, Yuta Nishiyama and Katsuhiro Nishiyanari. 
And now they published a paper in 2021 in the journal Science Advances titled Mutual Anticipation Can Contribute to Self-Organization in Human Crowds. For want of a better nerd, how do crowds avoid running into each other? And in detail, how do people maybe who are distracted, like on their phones, affect the crowd around them. If you consider the physics prize only considering two people walking towards each other and dodging, this is the extension on the research, perhaps past why it was published three years later, where it looks at a new topic, how the crowd can organize itself to avoid collisions. And what we talked about before was this social force modeling of people trying to avoid each other. So computational models describe these potential dynamics with the interaction potential or social force, which either attract or repel each other in this case. Now, that was the model that we talked about earlier, and these are really good for modeling individual pedestrian dynamics, but when they go to really large, complex crowds, they start to fall apart. Now, as we talked about earlier, the paper mentioned talked about anticipatory individual interactions, where an individual looks at what's coming up to it, and they make some motion to avoid. This kind of interaction, anticipatory interaction, is pretty interesting. But when you scale it out to a larger crowd, how many anticipatory movements can you really make? And is everyone making the same anticipatory movements? Well, what you actually see is these human crowds are actually working together. You get an example of collective behavior emerging itself, self-organizing collective behavior of the people, even without realizing it. And because this just happens, you need to understand the dynamics. So if you want to get people through a pedestrian area pretty quickly without problems, well, you need to understand how this crowd is going to self-organize. And that's in the normal case, maybe just crossing at an intersection or walking through a train tunnel, as we talked about earlier. But when it applies to something way more important to get mass movement, like, say, an evacuation or getting a stable movement through an airport or a high traffic area, then you need to understand how the crowd is going to organize itself. And whilst we know, as talked about earlier, that there's anticipatory nature in this pedestrian interaction, one pedestrian will try and avoid somebody else, you need to see how people's movements will also relate to the rest of the group, because most pedestrian dynamics aren't as simple as that pairwise collision we talked about earlier. And this is where often you'll see some strange behavior emerge. You'll see emergent patterns where crowds will start to form lane formations with two crowds walking towards each other or two imagine a pedestrian crossing you'll see lanes of fast and slow and directional lanes form and that is done in order to avoid collisions the safest place to be if you're looking at people coming towards you is to get into the lane with everyone else in your direction now that's great this kind of crowd collective behavior emerging is really important but can be completely thrown off if Perhaps some of those pedestrians are walking slowly or interacting with something else or in some otherwise distracted. And these distracted pedestrians can cause problems even for the non-distracted pedestrians because it just disrupts and delays this emergent behavior, this lane formation. So that's what these researchers really dove into. And that's why they are awarded the Kinetics Ig Nobel Prize. But what exactly did they do? Unlike a large data analysis period of monitoring people's movements in a train station. This was more around testing models and hypotheses. So the researchers took two groups, 27 pedestrians each, and then simulated more or less a traffic crossing where people were asked to cross the street. Now, what they were trying to do is simulate a very simple real world case that occurs across cities across the world. 
And there were some starting positions, some starting groups. So not everybody walked at the same time. They were distributed into sort of more or less three groups, the front, the middle, and the rear. And these would advance across the, the crossing, and then they would pass the other group coming the other direction. The other group also divided into front, middle, and rear. And what they then did was repeat this over a few times with a control group just to model and analyze how normal pedestrians just would walk through this space. And then they started to introduce some problems. They would introduce people who were distracted. And the key test for distraction here was some designed experiment. And they placed them inside the front group, inside the middle group, and the rear group. Now, how they distracted these pedestrians was ask them to type some stuff into their phones for the period of this experiment. And that way, it was simulating basically a very real-world case of someone crossing the street while on their phone. So what they found is that as pedestrians made their way across the crossing, they would start to form themselves, just naturally, into lanes. So not just taking their own straight line, but rather form themselves into lanes to make it across. And this is a pretty interesting assessment. Those in the front, well, they didn't really have a lane to fall into, so they had to haphazardly make their way through. Those in that middle section, well, there was already a path established and the rules were clear, so they were starting to tend towards it. And that rear group, that rear group was perfectly neatly following the lane because the path was clear. Everyone else was already ahead of them. They knew exactly where to go to avoid collisions. Which means that the front, the people at the front of that path, well, they have a really important role to play because they are the path finders. They have to navigate this space, avoid the collisions with their opposing side's front group, and find a path through. The middle and the rear just follow the carved path generated by that front group of people. Now, if that's the case, and the significance of this front group is so important to forming a stable lane, then if you disrupt that front group from forming a stable lane, well, the flow-on effects will be pretty substantial. The longer it takes for that front group to establish a nice lane, maybe the front group doesn't establish it, it's up to the middle group to establish it, and thus you delay the overall speed through that, say, crossing, or increase the chance of collision, because no lane is neatly formed for the others to follow through. So when they introduced the distraction test, and they put the distractions in the front lane, as you expect, you didn't end up with nice neat lanes for me because the front people were distracted on their phones and found it harder to navigate smoothly and avoid a collision and thus didn't carve out a neat path for everyone else to follow. So if you have distracted people at the front, well, the result is that you don't end up with nice neat lanes forming. No nice neat lanes forming, the slower you are gonna to be to navigate that space because you can't rely on assistance from the rest of the crowd. Now, with this in mind, the researchers then turn their attention to another question. What happens with just asked to walk slowly instead of use their phones distractedly? In that case, what ended up happening was, even though the front group walked more slowly, lanes were still able to be carved out and the subsequent lanes were still able to walk pretty fast. And that's what you expect. You can really see the impact of being distracted and say, on your phone. And really what this goes to show is that the mobile phone distractions really altered the behavior of the distracted pedestrians. They weren't able to form this pathfighting avoidance really neatly, and thus, overall, the whole efficiency of that system just really dropped away. They weren't able to carve out paths that could be used by subsequent following groups to really speed through that space nice and clearly. And this is where, in the study, they were really running a test where the people walking in the front were not having their eyes on the area around them, but mostly 70% of the time on the phone while they were typing. This wouldn't be unusual, but perhaps, you know, if you really know you're in a crowded space, you would maybe not look at your phone so much. 
But what was interesting was what happened to the non-distracted pedestrians around them. Because these non-distracted pedestrians couldn't form this mutual coordination with each other, like we talked about in that initial paper back in Netherlands, where they would form a contact, where both make a plan to one to go right, one to go left, and dodge each other. If one of those parties isn't doing that same thing, is looking at their phone instead, and you're trying to dodge them, well, now you're not going to be as effective at dodging because this conversation that you're having, this interaction of forces, isn't quite working. You are now effectively trying to move around an obstacle which you don't know where it's going to go. So the non-distracted pedestrian's efficiency at navigating the space is actually significantly disrupted. Their ability to move around and navigate successfully is impacted by somebody else being distracted by their phone. Mostly because this emergent behavior of agreeing upon which way to go is just basically thrown out the window because the other person is distracted. Now, in this case, it's a bit artificial because they're testing it, but it goes to show the fact that being distracted doesn't just impact your own ability to walk fast or slow, but actually does impact the efficiency of the people behind you and the people coming in the other direction. So this kind of anticipatory model of interaction between two people coming towards each other is effectively just thrown out the window because this anticipatory discussion where one goes, oh, well, not really a discussion, just natural behavior where one moves one way, one moves the other, just doesn't happen without eye contact or observation of an obstacle coming up towards you. And so this is some pretty interesting modeling that further extends what was looked at in the initial paper about modeling computationally using social force models, the way in which two people avoid collisions. Extending this to see how it impacts a whole crowd and adding distraction into the mix shows just how important it is in the self-organizing nature of crowds to be able to navigate a space smoothly and how that can be completely thrown out the window if you add distraction into the mix. Some fascinating research published in the journal Science Advances, which goes to show that using a phone in a crowded crossing can impact not just you, but those around you. Make everyone slower at getting through that traffic. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We cover the Nobel Prizes for physics and for kinetics, and how they relate to navigating a crowded space the most efficiently, and what damage phones can do to smooth navigation. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.